Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Today I, I want to talk about the Buddha's last words. He said, things fall apart. Tread the path with care. The first part, we get that, right? It's the second law of thermodynamics. But the big difference in the Buddhist view is how we bring our attention to it. And that's really my topic today, is paying attention. <clears throat> because paying attention is not just accepting this very fundamental law of nature, that everything is changing, and that things are degenerating, that there's a heat death at the inevitable end of the universe. And also looking inside ourselves, paying attention is not just another cognitive function, the neuroscience of perception. Paying attention isn't just about seeing the world, it's about changing the world. You are what you pay attention to. That's what William James said, the father of psychology, an American philosopher. And it was also said much more recently by Ian McGilchrist. And Ian McGilchrist uh, wrote a very excellent book of neuroscience called The Master and His Emissary about right and le left brain hemispheres. And I was pleased to see it excerpted in the uh, spring, recent spring edition of Tricycle, the Buddhist periodical from which I basically lift all my Dharma talks. Uh, McGill Chris explains that the way I pay attention to you, my friend, it's different from how I might attend to you if you were my priest and friend, my accountant, my lawyer, my customer, my client, if you were the burglar coming in my back door, if you were a cadaver on a slab and I'm a coroner about to perform an autopsy, and in every one but the last case, that changes you too. Right? Um, objectively speaking, nothing changes, but your experience is different in every case of me paying attention to you. And so, I change, you change, everything changes. And, and not only in the social world. Uh, last night I was on uh, Toronto Island. And uh, water levels have been high for months, right? And so the lake is different. We're paying attention to it quite differently. A few days before, I was kayaking, as I often do, through the lagoons and around the islands. And I was seeing things so different than in previous years. My sight lines have changed, right? I'm, I'm, I'm way up there now looking at the islands as opposed to looking at the seawall between uh, the harbor, the lake, and the islands. And so last night, I, uh, uh, I was on land and I was looking at the, uh, the, the water that's encroaching on the land and, 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 and looking at the sandbags that the residents have placed to protect their homes from the, uh, uh, the flood. And this is so different. I mean, I've been a sailor for many years, and I'm now again, and the lake's a whole different thing to me. I pay attention to it quite differently than a resident or a business owner whose customers disappeared because the ferries weren't running. Right? So the lake has changed, and we're paying attention to it differently. Everything changes, and the different experiences of people. Buddhism is different from science. It's different fundamentally. Uh, because science is, is about the supposedly true, and objective perception, the way things really are. 
even the way our perceptions really work and the nature of our reactions to things. Those are in the purview of science. But Buddhism, it's different. It's about how we engage in the world, how we might choose to respond to things, and how best to craft our own experiences, leading to the relief of suffering and the promotion of well-being. Paying attention changes us. Right? We become <coughs> what we attend to, as William James said. But there's a neuroscience part of this that's kind of interesting. It's that in our brain there are mirror neurons. And these neurons fire when we watch somebody do something, and they fire in a way that gives us the sense that we're doing it too. Right? We actually partake of the experience in some important inner sense. Uh, and this is part of the reason why uh, humans are remarkably, even shockingly easy to influence. Not just watching people do things, but just thinking about people doing things. Even just thinking about another person. We become engaged in a process of being like that other person. The application of our attention makes us partners in the creation of the world and the creation of ourselves. So attention, it's not just a function we perform with our brains and senses. It's a value we live, our attention. In our hearts and in the world we co-create. Paying attention is our project. It's a chosen process. It's not just the nature of things as they really are supposedly. It's about how we want to make a new world spiritually. So the second part of this is very interesting, where, where, where the Buddha said, tread the path with care. Now this is, this is really good, I think, because it used to be translated, I mean, all my previous experience of Buddhism over the years was strive on untiringly, or with diligence, or with vigilance. Now, the tone was maybe monastic. I always found it a bit militaristic, you know, a bit more Maoist than Taoist, you might say. And I, and, and, and I guess I was in keeping. These were late 19th century translators, and they came from the same world where when I was a kid, we would sing, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. <laughs> so we had that view, you know, it's a, it's a very activist, forward-thinking, uh, militaristic uh, uh, view, a progressive view. But now, uh, I think the view is different. And, and thanks to the evolution of linguistics and scholarship around languages and translation, and thanks to a guy, Stephen Batchelor, uh, a, a British scholar and Buddhist teacher, whose latest book, after Buddhism, rethinking the Dharma, spends a lot of time on, on, on some uh, fundamental uh, Buddhist doctrine in relation to new possibilities of translation. And, uh, and he was leaned on heavily in another article on Tricycle called Treading the Path with Care, What Happens When We Ask Ourselves What We Care About Most by Wynton Higgins. So I'm quoting Wynton Higgins, quoting Stephen Batchelor. But Stephen Batchelor's book is very good to read. And this article in Tricycle is, is also very good in last winter's edition. Uh, part of this general social evolution of understanding. Bachelor says, treading the path with care makes more sense because he says in Pali, in, in the language of the canon, the word is apanada, and, and that is best translated as care. If the word atapi in Pali had been used, and the Buddha was comfortable using the word atapi, which more literally means diligence when talking about how to concentrate or what to bring into awareness, how to, you know, just to, to strive to be more aware and to concentrate more 
powerfully and in a focused way. But he didn't choose it in, in, in his very last utterance. His advice was to pay careful attention. He wanted to, if he wanted to emphasize diligence and vigilance as he did in those other areas, he could have. But he, he, he didn't. He chose a word for the highest care, the deepest care, as in compassionate caring. I think that's very important. The, 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 the first part, things fall apart. The translation has not changed. Uh, but we might attend to them a little differently with this understanding. Uh, the second law of thermodynamics, right? It, order turns into disorder. Symmetry and organization collapse into randomness and chaos. And the scientists over many years and generations, they were very diligent, very vigilant in their research and theorizing, like Saadi Carnot, Rudolf Clausius, Lord Kelvin, Max Planck, even just the most recent century, the 20th century, they, they, they were uh, disciplined, diligent, vigilant people, and we want that in our scientists, we want that in our accountants, we want that in our lawyers. But uh, where Lord Kelvin of Britain should be that way, Lord Buddha, we, we appreciate that he preferred attending to caring over diligence and vigilance, and, and that difference is everything. And these great scientists, you know, they didn't really explain the world either, not yet, right? Uh, not really, you know, science is only now turning to the great question of why there is anything. We could say why it falls apart, how it falls apart, how it's reduced to the smallest parts as it collapses, but why is it here in the first place? I mean, the second law of thermodynamics does not explain how for such a long period of time after the Big Bang, there's nothing but hydrogen. And then, ages later, there's this rock that happens to be in kind of a fortuitous orbit around a sun. And now we're sitting here, and, and this world is singing opera, and there's a new season of Rick on Netflix. Have you seen it? <laughs> Has anybody seen it? It's just really funny. It's wildly, uproariously humorous. And how did we get from a dead rock pure hydrogen to really excellent comedy. Uh, don't ask Max Planck, Lord Kelvin, Clausius, or, uh, or Sadi Carnot, right? It, the, the second law of thermodynamics does not uh, resolve what's a bit of a mystery still, and neither did the Buddha really, but he said we could get good with it, and that more important than nailing an answer to the questions is to live them, to live them well and skillfully, meaning with care, meaning loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. In my last Dharma talk, I talked about those four measurables and their near enemies. And today, I'm just going upstream of that a little bit with the Buddha's highest intentions for us in regard to those four measurables to be beholding in wonderment these questions. He saw care as the ultimate virtue. He told his friend King Pasanadi of Kosala that care is the one thing that encompasses all of the immeasurable virtues. He said, just as the footprints of all beings that walk fit into the footprints of an elephant, so is care the one thing that secures all kinds of good. To his following of monks, he, he, he said in another place, so too, whatever wholesome states there are, 
they are all rooted in care, converge on care, and care is considered chief among them. Care is fundamental to the radical practice of our dharma. It's radical because it, it favors fundamental change. That's the dictionary definition. Favoring fundamental change. Buddhism isn't about accepting the status quo. The Buddha was a revolutionary at heart. To live ethically is to care about what is happening right here, right now, and everywhere. And you can't practice mindfulness. You can't hold anything in mind without caring about yourself and, and about each other. It's something else entirely if you don't care. Your mind is not full of this goodness. So when we say take care, you know, as we casually part with good wishes for a friend, it, 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 it really resonates, if you think about it, in, in, in these Buddhist terms. It used to be an old-fashioned way of speaking. You know, when somebody said, I really care for you, it was kind of like the next question might be, will you marry me? <laughs> you <know? laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a shy way of, of talking about the deepest possible feelings. And it sort of come back. I mean, recently, a young friend of mine was describing the goodness in her romantic relationship, an English relationship. And, and she didn't say, I love the guy. She said, we, we deeply care for each other. So, I mean, we, uh, uh, we, we have a, a return, I think, you know, to, that, to that kind of language. Uh, we, we take care of ourselves. Uh, we care for each other. We care about the world. And the absence of care, the uncaring, are already dead, the Buddha said, in the Dhammapada. He said, care is the path of the deathless. Carelessness is the path to death. The caring do not die, the uncaring are already dead. For the Buddha, someone who cares and cultivates the virtues that, that follow from caring is a person of the greatest integrity. What he called a true person. Someone authentically being, a human being, with the being as a verb uh, rather than a noun. And that, that's like Heidegger, the great German philosopher of the 20th century. He also uh, changed us into works in progress uh, with sorge, or care, as our primary intention, our motivation for beings in time. Right? So philosophy and science, too, they, they're of late been catching up with the Buddha, so it's good. The, the Buddha talked about truth that way. He talked about it not as an objective, accurate description of reality, but, but more like an ethical quality, like my friend's true love, true caring. Or we might describe someone as a true friend, right? Uh, it's not an analytical judgment. It's a heartfelt connected connection that we're talking about. We used to end letters. You know, when I was a kid, we taught to write a friendly letter as opposed to a business letter. And the ending was not sincerely, it was yours truly. Truly yours. So it's easy to forget these basic and, and simple things when we discuss the doctrine of the world's third largest religion. The doctrines have become metaphysical positions rather than uh, paths leading to freedom from suffering for ourselves and, and all beings. So when the Buddha was challenged to describe himself, he just said he was awake. When, when Mara, the devil, metaphysically confronted him, he just touched the ground. He didn't claim to be an all-knowing seer who had penetrated the secrets of the universe. He offered himself as an example of a person of integrity truly caring person. The ultimate aim of the practice is to be like him, committed to this non-reactive state of mind, dedicated to ethical virtue, and always 
deeply caring. So where to go from here? Uh, a famous question that, that uh, comes up in Buddhist teachings all the time. There's actually three questions. Am I going to die? When am I going to die? What will be meaningful at the time of my death? Now the first two is just a setup, right? It's just to put you in the mood. Because of course, you know, there's no choices to put the answers. <laughs> yes, and I don't know. And uh, okay, what? Because it could be any time. Right? I've got to mm-hmm. think now. Okay, so the first two are just to, to get you warmed up, you know, softened up for the, for the question. What will be meaningful at the time of your end? And uh, it's important not to forget that, right? That that's a, that's a, worth, that's a question worth dwelling on. So I, I offer this exercise today in two parts, just for fun. Okay? Uh, try, let's just take a couple of moments now, and make a mental list of the things that are genuinely their greatest concern. Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor said, this is philosophy, it's what's most important to you. What are your deepest concerns? What's the most significant thing? And uh, don't try to think, what's the Buddhist thing? It's caring, okay, forget it. That's not, it's not a test on what I just said. It's just what you feel you know, in, 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 your, in your heart right now. Uh, do you want mainly a romantic partner? Is that, is that your goal? Uh, do you want to save the world from global warming? That's your main goal? Okay, good. Do you want a new car, a house, or do you want a sailboat that's really sleek and fast on the outside, cozy and dry inside? <laughs> what are you thinking about during the meditation that we just had? You know? Or do you like the Sufi mystic Hafiz? Do, do you want to be very sure that the one thing it won't by any chance say on your tombstone is that you failed to kiss your love enough? But what do you really want? You got it? Have you thought about it last time? You know? And stop thinking about it. Stop fixing the leaks on the boat. Make sure the engine runs. Sailing across the sparkling bay. Because that's not it. That's, there's, there's other things. Okay. What are you, what, like, what's the most important things? Two or three. Don't beat yourself up. Okay. Couple ideas here. Now, now, just, just step back from the past week or so. And uh, think about what you acted like you want. Right? What did the, your behavior suggest was the most important thing to you? Like what, if someone was looking at you objectively and saying, exactly what did this person do? Okay, I know what he did. She did this. So therefore, he or she must really like or want or have as a goal Maybe, uh, I don't know, making lots of money, uh, <coughs> some money at least, uh, getting some praise or at least not getting blamed for stuff anymore. Uh, or could be um, the more exciting sex life. Or maybe less fear for the security of the people you love. Maybe just, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying beat yourself up with the, you know, the most contrasting things to the first list. Just realistically, be honest. What did you act like was your main goal? I didn't fix the leaks, I just thought about them. I, I didn't repair the ignition on the motor, I just worried about it. So, <laughs> so I'm no exemplar in, in this, but uh, 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 it's a challenging question nonetheless. And the mismatch between the first list 
And the second list is the place of your practice for the following week, obviously, right? It's what you need to pay attention to. The difference between what in your heart is the most important thing, not because the Buddha said so, because it is, just because it truly is, because it's your truth, and what you actually do. And I trust and hope you can have some fun with that next week and beyond. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Sanha, for the honor of being able to speak today. And all of you, take care.